Hello everyone, and welcome to broadcast number 79 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show that airs bi-weekly on Saturdays at noon U.S. Central Time to help you keep up with the ever-evolving world of indie game development, debate about issues in the indie game scene, and to let you into the mind of some of the most interesting people behind the creation of indie games. Today is June 11th, and I'll be your host, Brett Hudson, broadcasting live back home from the Midwest United States. We have a guest today who I'm super excited to have on. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, thanks. Yeah, my name is Martin, Martin Cool, um, and I'm a, I'm a game developer. I designed a few games, and mostly puzzle games. Um, and the funny thing is, I'm not even a puzzle game player myself, <laughs> but I, I just like to create the, the puzzles themselves. That's what I love, and... Um, I love that I've I've been able to reach a few people, and I'm flattered that I'm uh, I'm a guest on the show today, Brett, and uh, to hear that you've been playing my games. Oh yeah, Thanks. no. I, when when Oh High came out, uh, it was on Game Jolt, and that's where I found yeah. it. When I found out that it had a mobile version, and I was like, Oh no, there goes my life, everything. Just <laughs> poof. But more on that later. So. Uh, Indie Radio is separated into two chunks. First, we have the news, and second, the interview. Uh, but before we begin the news, we'd like to remind those listening live that we have an IRC channel available for listeners to suggest topics, link news articles that we may have missed, ask questions, and chat with us. If you're interested in joining the IRC channel, you can find uh, an embedded IRC at the bottom of the radio page if you're listening to this on IndieFunction.com. Otherwise, you can join our channel via your own IRC client on the afternet.org network using the channel IndieFunction, I-N-D-I-E Function. So we already have a few people in there. Uh, Keeper Caleb, Martin, uh, Ian, uh, our usual co-host, he has uh, had a little mouth surgery. He, he lost his wisdom, wisdom teeth, I should, should clarify. He still has his wits. Um, so he's he's not joining us today, but he will be in the chat in spirit. <laughs> so let's let's get started with the news. We didn't see too much happening lately because we're, we're guessing it's because E three is right around the corner. I believe E three is this week. Um, I'm fairly certain. I've lost track of like the concept of time over the past few weeks, um, but. Unity has a new pricing scheme coming out, which has angered a lot of people. I will put the link in the chat. There it is. So last month at Unite Europe, they announced that they're going to be launching new Unity products and then also the prices. I've heard nothing about these products, actually. I forgot that there were new products. Um, oh, it's subscription products. So that's a bit ambiguous there, I guess. But the way that it's going to work is that you can get three different tiers, technically four, of Unity. There's Unity Personal, which has all the features of Pro, um, but it's free, and it has a splash screen uh, when you publish your games, but you can use it as long as your funding is under 100000 per year. Unity Plus is $35 a month for a 12-month plan, and 49 a month for a monthly plan. So you're either paying $35 or $50 a month. And what you get is um, 
It says more useful and effective tools that will help you release commercial games. Um, plus comes with the same revenue cap as personal. So as long as you're not making more than 100,000 a year, you don't have to upgrade all the way to pro. But what's angering a lot of people uh, before we get on to pro is that plus still has a splash screen. And well, it's, well, it makes sense from Unity's standpoint that, oh, hey, you just put our splash screen in your game, you're supporting Unity, you know, it's this, there's a stigma around the splash screen that says, hey, I use Unity, and I didn't have the money to uh, remove the splash screen, and that I'm, quote-unquote, not professional enough to remove the splash screen, which I, I can see, um, I, I agree with, kind of. Um, hey, that's me too, right? Mm-hmm. I made a game with, on, with Unity, with a splash screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And were, you were fine with that? Yeah, we were fine with that. I mean, uh, we got a pro version at the time that we were uh, that we paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're 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 moving towards the more flexible uh, flexible tiers. Um, I mean, even the free tier right now has uh, you know you have all the platforms that you can compile for. That yep. wasn't at the time when we when we built uh, Numolition, uh, one of my uh, one of the puzzle games I did. And uh, yeah, I think it's this. It's, uh, they're heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So the third tier, Unity Pro, which Martin just brought up, it's now one hundred twenty-five dollars a month, which is an increase from the previous uh, seventy-five dollars a month. Um, and that's with a one year, one year, <laughs> one year commitment uh, with no revenue cap. So you can make as much money as you want. Um, then there's a change though there used to be an additional android pro and ios pro that were an additional 75 dollars a month so if you got all three it would be 75 times three which is 225 dollars i think yeah 225 dollars uh, a month so now you can get all of them bundled together for 125 a month which is better for people that are compiling for android and ios but for people who are only going for the PC version it's they're they're a bit angry that they're now paying an, an additional $50 a month almost twice as much as they were previously so yeah and then there's also unity enterprise for large organizations wanting source code and enterprise support which does not have a price tag you have to contact unity for that but I don't I don't think anybody listening into the show is is going for the enterprise at this this time so yeah lots lots going on it's controversial like with how all the features are laid out and the new pricing scheme but yeah so do you have any more opinions about that martin no i've, I've lost touch with unity um as i've been uh doing my recent game development and uh, prototype building all in javascript which is uh my, uh, it's not even a warm bath. It's it's my hot tub, actually. You know, I just love fiddling with JavaScript. <laughs> um, and just by doing so, that's fun in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes a, a new game comes from it, and and well, most of the time it doesn't. But um, yeah, I, and I've I've had a lot of fun, you know, just learning Unity uh, and learning what it does and how it can work for you. Um, but and you know, I I like writing in C sharp and. Um, but you know, JavaScript, CSS—that's my 
uh, that's my thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I I really wish Ian could be on today because he's he's the JavaScript guru between the two of us. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, he so did you... he does some crazy stuff. But sorry, I cut you off. What were you about to say? No, did, did you did you notice? Uh, did you could you see it on the games? Like, uh, oh hi, what do you think? Do you think it's uh, it's visible that it's uh, it's uh, an HTML5 game that is wrapped in a, as a native game? Um. It it doesn't have because hmm, hmm. as a web developer, yes, I know that it's an HTML5 game, and yeah. um, I I like HTML5. Um, but if I were just a, a normal player, I don't think I would notice that it's you know a certain technology over another. It's oh right. Mm-hmm. So I I think that's the best I can answer that because <laughs> I've got a bit of a bias being a developer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Me too. Um, but yeah, no, if, if anybody else in the chat has any news topics that we've missed, it's just been really silent the past few weeks, but that also might be because I've been on the road and I haven't been completely focused on checking in on Twitter every, every 20 minutes, but yeah, it's, it's been pretty silent. All that I've really been seeing is, uh, U.S. presidential, uh, stuff on, on my feed, so games have been pretty quiet. <laughs> The European Soccer Championship started. Ooh. Ooh. But, you know, this is the first time since, I don't know, as, as I can remember, that we're not in it as the Netherlands. So that that doesn't even count as news, so let's just skip that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah. there is one other thing, technically two. Today, June 11th, 2016, marks five years of Indie Function. On June 11th, 2011, we had our first interview, uh, our very first broadcast with uh, Andrew Miklutsky, a.k.a. Now, as he used to be known. He, uh, he's moved away from that, and uh, it's, looking back, it's just, wow, we've, we've been around for five years, and uh, I, I've done some thinking about how much the show has changed, and how much we've pumped out, and yeah, it's just kind of I, I don't even know what the word is just amazing I guess for me that we we've somehow stuck with this all this time um, and we are launching a patreon uh, this weekend uh, we were gonna launch it today but we uh, we we put it off a little bit we want to do some more tweaks to our to our page and make sure it's 100 percent up to up to snuff so we we're launching a Patreon for anybody who would like to uh, support us and help us move forward um, doing this. Because when when we started, uh, we were we were teenagers with unlimited time, and we were able to pump out a lot of stuff. And over the years, as you know, we've gone through college and then gotten out of college and had to start working. We've had less and less time working on it, being able to work on Indie Function because. We either had to look at our education or start working on paying bills, which is always fun. Uh, so with this, with the Patreon, what, what our goal is, is to um, uh, get some monetary support that will allow us to uh, put more time into creating more content for everybody to enjoy. Because I, I really enjoy making the magazine. It just takes a lot of time. Um, and right now our only two things that we're doing is the blog and then the the broadcast or the the radio show so 
Hopefully hey, we Brett. can we can grow again. But sorry. Hey Brett, do you have any any special moments that stood out then in the past five years? Any, oh, any... so many. Um, a lot of them have been on the show, which is probably the reason why it's the only project that I've made sure has stayed alive the entire time. Um, there's just a lot of really neat developers out there, and um, they've got interesting things to say, and uh, it's inspiring talking to uh, a lot of the developers that you know make indie games nowadays. So um, yeah, and then did you? Do you yeah. have any? Did you have any of your your personal heroes on the show? Oh, absolutely. We've probably half the list. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, you uh, picked them by the games you play, probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, I really like this game. Let's let's have them on. Um, gotten a few recommendations from you know people listening in of developers I had never heard of that ended up being really interesting and it made a lot of stuff that I enjoyed. So, yeah. Thanks for the question, though. Nice. That, was, that was great. So, if you guys are uh, interesting, interesting. Well, <laughs> if you guys are interested, uh, all the Swedish that I've been learning has been messing with my mind. Can't can't speak English anymore, I guess. Um, if you guys are interested in checking out the Patreon, we will be posting a link on our Twitter, so you can go over to Twitter and search up Indie Function and just keep your eye on there, and we will be putting out a link for anybody who wants to uh, help us out. But enough about Indie Function, enough about us. This is time to talk to Martin Cool, the creator of dozens of puzzle games. I, I Maybe dozens is, is a bit high. Yeah, well, uh, I think dozens, but I th- only uh, a few of them ever were published <laughs> or worth maybe publishing. Uh, I, I think I've got, a, I've, I've got dozens of... of uh, stranded projects here and there that's i think that's part of the the thing with being in indie is that you make 10 projects and maybe release one and then finish one of those five (laughs) yeah no that's right that is so right and it's even harder to to stick with the one that you're working on because most of the time you already have this idea of another game (laughs) that you Mm want to finish or that you want to start and oh well you have to stick with this one you have to finish it and polish it and get it out there yeah Mm -hmm. yeah no that that looming idea like oh that's going to be so much better or like this project's getting kind of stale and this new one makes me all you know giddy it's definitely a skill to be able to sit down and say, "Hey, no, I'm not starting anything else. I'm I'm finishing this." Yeah, that's that's a hard one. It took me years to to grasp that concept, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's known to, to what you said to any, all indie developers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because because we're not you know restricted to a um uh, a deadlines or project management forcing us to do this or that we have that freedom and gotta make our own our own confines yeah yeah true that (laughs) so uh there's so many places we could start um i guess let's start from the beginning how did you get into game development what where where was the light bulb moment that hey i want to i want to make games um i think my my dad, he, uh, oh no, before my dad bought a computer, we had a, a Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, I mean, the, the fun thing about the Commodore was 
when I think back of it, it's it was really a unique product. I mean, there's nothing like that today. I mean, it was in every store, um, and it was a consumer product, you know, for every family. And when you bought it, then it, you know, you open the box, you connect everything. I mean, chapter one of the book was all about um, how to, to, to wire it up and get stuff running. And then chapter two was like, okay, you have to insert a, a, a cassette and, you know, press play on tape. But chapter three was basic, you know, how to, it was, I mean, all the commands that you were giving to this device were in basic, they were programming. And the book just went on with the, there was this balloon floating that you can that you could code um, with sprites and peek and poke, and that, I mean that was that was amazing. And there's not there's no consumer product right now that I can think of that brings programming so close in anybody's home. I mean, there's it's it's really it's not easy to start. I think for uh, for kids these days that as it was back then. So um, oh, that's interesting because I would argue the complete opposite. Yeah, I, 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 I agree to that. I, I can relate to that. But, I mean, thinking about this book that I had, I mean, my friends had the book as well. I mean, I was on uh, a in primary school. And, uh, you know, we were just uh, biking over to friends and we were programming little games. <laughs> and there was even a radio show here in the, um, at our local show where I live. And they were broadcasting um, small bits of program over the radio uh, in the evening once a week. So you could just sit there with the with your uh, cassette tape and then press record, and you know that because this sound like <laughs> <laughs> so I was recording, and then you just played it on the on the computer. I mean, it was it was just magic um, getting wow. stuff up and running, you know, and and just doing that was so much fun and so intriguing, and it was it was for me it's, it it felt like living in the future. So you know? you're saying that they would broadcast audio waves and you would record yes. that and plug it into yeah it was a little I don't know I'm not sure I don't even know what the name was but they, they were broadcasting um, uh, small bits of uh, basic programs that were small enough to send in let's say one minute or something uh, over wow. audio I, I've never heard of such a thing that's whoa <laughs> yeah it's really cool it's um, yeah it's uh I, I, I remember later, uh, many years later, in my first uh, apartment that I bought, that I had this, um, oh, what was it? This, it was not an MP3 player, but it was this, this Sony, this mini disc, was mm-hmm. it a Sony mini disc player? And I used that to play, rec- I connected it to a Commodore 64 through some wires and stuff, <laughs> and I used it to, 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 you know, I didn't have the, a lot of... Um, I had a real Commodore 64, but I, I didn't have any uh, uh, cassettes at the time, so mm. I was able to just put them on mini disc and use that to play. Because you, you know, once you get the audio wave, that that's the program. That's how it was stored, right? So, well, that's how I got into uh, into coding, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was just listening to audio waves, and you know, I'd make programs out of them. <laughs> yeah, that is so wild. Yeah, it's 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 hard to imagine now. I mean, it's uh, everything's digital, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, but at the time, this was yeah, that was pretty cool. You know, sitting at the radio and, and uh, recording this stuff, playing it back, and you only got a few lines, and they got um, mostly they were uh, uh, ASCII art kind of uh, kind of games, mm-hmm. or even small programs that would just uh, prompt you for a question, and if you answered correctly, then it would give you a nice answer. Mm-hmm. There were very short things like that, but you know, you could. Also, every program that you had, you had the code. 
right? You could just list the code from from list like a uh, two thousand to three thousand. You get a whole lot of commands. That was, you know, that's the way I, I learned programming with the book. Wow. See, when when you're talking about this, it it makes me wonder if you could still do. I mean, you certainly could, um, but how well a game because there's there's those new games like uh, I think Pokemon Go which are you know about augmented reality and about going to different places and um, finding Pokemon there but it would be really neat if there were some sort of program that when you go places it listens to you know like a minute of sound or something of that location so you go to a waterfall and you record the waterfall for like a minute or, you know, it, it could be even the the small frequencies that you can't hear. Um, and just kind yeah. of see, like, you could create some sort of procedural game based off of that. Definitely, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much stuff that you can store in audio. Yeah. Now I really want to see that happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, like, Mostly, I just want to see how this Commodore was able to take audio waves. Because that, that's just fascinating. I, is there information online about that? Yeah, a lot. You know, the, the fun thing is, if you, um, what a lot of people right now don't know is that, you know, if you look back at some of the retro games, they, they mimic some of the things that were happening at the time. You know, like the, the flashing screen once your game was loading. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing is, of course, the... The, the information that you were loading, uh, it got pushed to memory, and there were some memory addresses that were just direct addresses that were linked to what information should be on screen. So once the once a, once a game was loading or a program was loading, it would get shifted through all these addresses in memory, and it would go through the memories that were reflected on screen. So that's why once a program was loading, you would see the screen, you know, just bouncing and see all these colors and. Uh, and the, the funny thing is that was also uh, a way of knowing that the game was loading. So <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, uh, old days. But <laughs> the good old days of coding and, and Commodore 64. Stuff. Way before my time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. So what, what was your first uh, um, computer? My first computer was um, an e-machine from the late 90s that ran Windows 95. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I was born in 95, so, like, yeah, I grew up in the late 90s, well, first, had my first taste of computers, and I was obsessed. <laughs> oh, you should, I mean, computers are so much fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't get I into think... programming until I was 12, <laughs> unfortunately, but I was, I was comfortable with them, I liked using them a lot. Yeah, cool. I'd love to get my hands on a Commodore sixty four someday. I just haven't had a haven't had a chance yet. There's a new, uh, what is, I think, a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. Let me look that up. It's about a new um, Commodore portable Commodore. I, I, I think I want to get that thing. Um, I think it's just called the Commodore sixty four right now. What is uh, the C sixty four from Indiegogo? Wait, let me put that on um, the IRC for sure. Let's see, they. Yeah, here it is. The funny thing is, is that it's uh, it just looks cool. The device. Check this out. One hundred thousand dollars raised by four hundred thirty-five backers. 
67 percent they're literally at two-thirds of their goal they're they're going yeah. for 150,000 yeah, I mean, we can all use lots of emulators to, to, to play these games, of course, but you know, having a handheld device that is aimed to look and feel like a Commodore 64 makes it makes it worthwhile, I think. Yeah, It says closed at the top. Ah, oh, they, they failed already, or not? Uh. It's, I think it says flexible goal down there. The campaign has ended and will receive all funds raised. Yeah, so Indiegogo oh, okay. has a, a way that you can still get the money if oh, you don't. that's right yeah yeah you get you get what you what you've raised right okay mm-hmm. cool okay so it's still happening it's just it's gonna take a little while yeah super cool i'll watch the video but watching video on this doesn't quite work so their their last update was 17 days ago it says good news for all our backers we've just sent out to all of you via an email uh the link to claim slash watch the free c64 programming video tutorials as promised to you as an extra bonus for supporting us by backing the 64 so please watch out for that email and link to your inbox cool so, so they are still moving forward and oh, nice man. this is so cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love old tech yeah I, I grew up with this this was amazing and I remember that my dad he he um, he was uh, he was offered to, to, to get a PC so he, they needed computers for work and uh, he was offered to get a PC you know with discount it would still probably I don't know cost probably a whole lot of money mm-hmm. uh, to get a PC at home and you know he got a uh, a two eighty six what is it two sixty eight with two eighty six with uh, uh, EGA colors <laughs> and that was amazing that was a um, you know, I, I played Sierra games on there and uh, like uh, Space Quest and King's Quest and uh, Monkey Island. So I grew up with those games. And um, I remember that I, I wanted to try basic. There, uh, there was a, a GW basic. That's what I started with. And that's when I tried to, you know, to, to figure out how, how Tetris was made. I played Tetris so many times on the Commodore and then on a PC as well. And you wanted to learn how to how to make it, did you say? Yeah, that's right. That's that's what actually I think that was one of the first games that I I I remember finishing finished programming my own version of Tetris with probably loads and loads and loads of code, um, unnecessary code probably, but that was how I got <laughs> it to work. <laughs> oh man, that was that was that was a lot of fun, you know, seeing it to work and having this final game, um, and that got me a, a grasp of you know how Tetris was made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried making Tetris a long time ago and failed horribly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, but uh, it, it definitely has a lot of great um, concepts, and depending on which way you approach it, if you're using arrays, it, it's a really good way to learn that. One of my friends at, uh, at work at Q42, he made uh, Tetris within 1K in JavaScript, I think, including sound. That's a, a Including short sound. Yeah, wait, this is amazing. Let me see if I can find it. It's uh... And my my original game back then, I think it had so many go-tos. Um, <laughs> I, I even got lost. Wait, where is it? Perhaps that's why they they advise not to use go-tos nowadays. Like, don't ever yeah. use them. Don't. No, don't. Yeah, I think this is the one. Maybe you're a... Sa- oh, sorry. Whoa. There it is. <laughs> okay. This mm. is the one. Yeah. 
before I jump to this. Oh. Yep. It works. <laughs> That's the link. <laughs> uh, here, where, where was that in the, uh, 219? I, I just want to make sure I, I bring down the volume a bit there so future listeners aren't, you know, um, deaf after watching. But Martin Cohen <laughs> said, maybe Pico 8 or, or on Pocket Chip might become something as magical as programming in the 80s. Have you used Pico 8? No, I haven't. What? He, so he put a link. It's um, the first link that Martin Cohen put in. So it's a fully featured IDE and player inside a single program. So oh, yeah. you write all of your code inside this program. You design the levels. You draw all the sprites using their limited uh, palette. I mean, someone made a, a Pico 8... What is it? Um, an audio tracker, like fast tracker or something with patterns, and that's what I see on the website. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, so there's cool. there's a music editor and a sound editor right in the program. Like, cool. Everything you see here is right in there, and so then sweet. everything's super small. And you'll see that it says shareable cartridges. That image to the left is actually the game. If you download that PNG that you see there and plug it oh. into P- Pico Eight. It'll load the entire game, and then you get the source code too. Cool. So there's definitely a lot of parallels with this, and the the Commodore 64. And now that now that I, I've seen this parallel, the the magic that I feel when I'm using Pico 8 and like you know having fun with it, like you guys probably had twice that magic working in the Commodore 64. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's it's probably the same emotion that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is, though, that we were not aware of that something... I mean, if you use the Pico 8, um, it's fun to see that it's a retro, and uh, you can imagine that what it was like back then, um, because it, it's in such contrast with what there is right now, and you didn't, ha- you didn't need that much... Uh, you know all kinds of 3D stuff and shading and, and magical effects to create a, uh, an amazing game. Mm-hmm. But but back then we didn't have the, the the comparison material of the future. So the Commodore 64 was what there was, for me at least. Or well, then, uh, uh, not entirely because right after that a friend of mine had his uh, had a Commodore Amiga and it was it was really one of the most amazing devices I've ever seen. It was miles ahead of. I mean it was way way ahead of I think Windows 95. Um, at the time when I the way I thought of it back then at least wow Uh, also a bit of a tangent but um, the other link that Martin Cohen put in we've got two Martins here I'm about to mix mix you guys up Um, he also linked the pocket chip which is a handheld version of Pico 8 and you can pick one up right now for $50 I don't know when they ship. It sounds like... Oh, they're shipping this month. Um, so if you pre-order, it sounds like you can get it for 50 or 70 later on. Now, I, I hear your kids in the background. <laughs> oh, no, those are the neighbor kids. Yeah, oh, yeah. those are the I'm neighbor not... kids. You, your kids are, are perfectly silent right now, right? Yes, they're, they're, <laughs> most of them are sleeping. Oh, right. <laughs> it's It's 7.30 over there, right? Yeah, that's right. Is it is it bothering you? Is it uh Oh no, no. It, it's, okay. it's fine. I just wanted to bring them up if 
if it was your children. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're seventy-five uh, percent of my children are asleep right now. Seventy-five percent. Hmm. Yeah. So, have any of them expressed interest in in programming? I've 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 given them some some coding. Um, um, this is, well, I, I've taught them a bit, but they didn't get really hooked on it. They thought, well, this is cool, yeah, nice, and uh, that was that. Yeah. You know, we we use uh, I use Scratch for that. There's a it's it's a it's a it's a programming environment especially made for us. It's made for all ages. Uh, you can drag around these these little blocks, mm-hmm. uh, code blocks, and uh, to create a game. And it's one of the most easy ways for for kids to start programming. In contrary, actually, to like what you said um, back with the Commodore 64, where you just got a game and a device uh, at home, uh, a device and a book that showed you how to program. But this is called uh, Scratch. I'm sure many of you know it. Um, let me see the link. Um, and it's a nice way of teaching kids to program. Mm-hmm. So I... that's what we do with uh, that's what we do in my company as well. At Q42, we uh, uh, we have a lot of kids. You know, we teach them with uh, uh, learning them to experience what it is to code. Really, you? I, I had no idea that you guys also taught uh, stuff at Q42. Yeah, that's what we do. That's uh, um, it's a it's a uh, it's a project here in the Netherlands. Uh, it's called Code Hour. Uh, I think it's even beyond the Netherlands, but we're, we're there. We're taking up the Dutch uh, version of it. Um, and what it means, it basically, is that in schools, you know, you get taught to work with wood and with uh, with paper and all all the basic stuff that that we were learned to work with. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid. But I mean, right now, there's so many kids that don't naturally get in touch with programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that the world needs more programming uh, programmers, but it's nice to. Yeah, well, the world does, but I mean, that's a whole <laughs> different that's a whole different topic. But I think it's nice that you know to get acquainted with it like my kids are getting acquainted with you know soldering and uh you know uh, uh <laughs> hammering nails in wood and stuff like that so why not uh, get them in touch with programming see if it sticks you know like, give them some uh, some experience with it um so that's really cool yeah so it's called code hour you said uh yeah and and how often does it happen i you might have mentioned this is uh, um, schools can they can sign up for uh, code hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is let, let me post the link, uh, the Dutch link. Um, so schools can sign up, and then uh, uh, we or you know uh, people from within the Netherlands that want to uh, want to teach programming, they can sign up to say, hey, I'm available in a certain area, and then they will come to that school, and we have some lessons prepared for them, and they can you know start uh, teaching. Wow. Oh, there's the big Q42 logo. Look at that. It's all in Dutch, and my... Yes. Oh, there we go. Right-click, translate to English. Usually there's a little button that allows me to. Okay, now now I can read it. <laughs> I think there's a... You know, do you know Hour of Code? That's I think that's the, the name for the... It's, it's this one. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm able to read it. Uh, Google Chrome translated it for me. It just took me a little while to figure out how to do it again okay um, but yeah no companies already do so you guys are partnered with quite a few companies uh the dutch base camp what's this oracle academy microsoft 
So the ones that I yeah, this is wow. So look at that workshops. Cool. And how long has this been going on? For a few years now. For a few years. So I think this is a good place to transition into Q42. It's been brought up, I think, twice now. So let's let's talk about Q42. So it's I I haven't done extensive research, but I know you work there. What and then you're you're one of the programmers that works on games and some software. Yeah. So that's right. do you wanna do you wanna fill in all the little blanks and oh yeah, paint the bigger I, picture? I, <laughs> yeah, sure. I think a lot of people that know Q42 from the games think that maybe I am one of the game developers, which of course I am. But I mean that Q42 is a game company. Mm-hmm. But um, the funny thing is that Q42 is not actually a game company. We're we're a technical company, um, and we're we consist solely of of um, engineers. Mm-hmm. And I think we're describing ourselves as a happy place for nerds, and we grew from um, the the five of us till we're around sixty five people now, you know, guys and girls, in The Hague in Amsterdam, um, and a small. Uh, team in uh, Mountain View, and uh, so what we do is we're we're engineers. We're helping uh, helping companies with all kinds of technical problems. You know, with with helping them, like we say in Holland, you know, the, the, the crack the nut. You know, if there's something stuck, if something just if you can't move forward, then we're that's the things that we want to solve because puzzle solving digitally is what we love. And you know, in the past few years, that this wasn't only uh, software programming like uh, apps and um, and websites, but the hardware has been has become so much cheaper, and it's, it's really nice to involve hardware in it. So we're actually building all kinds of stuff, you know, with soldering and chips and uh, Arduinos, and uh, it's a it's it's a fun place to be, and um, where we leave everyone open for a lot of input of what everyone wants to do um, to keep it a happy place for nerds. So uh, um, my personal hobby of game development really fits in there perfectly yeah that's yeah. uh that's basically q42 in a nutshell perfect yeah i i remember going to the about page i'm there right now as well and i i absolutely love it you you get to hover over everybody and it's got a a little animation oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great but yeah it says you've got t- uh, 63 cures right now Today yeah, we've right. had zero cups of coffee and written zero lines of code. You slackers! Oh yeah, that's right. I think, yeah. <laughs> or the or the feeds are wrong. But <laughs> yeah. so does that actually update when you guys um, push commits and yeah, drink yeah, coffee? Yeah, it's related. To, <laughs> it's re- related to commits, and I think our uh, uh, I think the, the the coffee number has been down uh, for a while. So what what are some of the other projects that are going on right now? What we're doing at, at Q42, or me personally? What, what, uh... Both. Let's let's start with Q42, and then we can transition into you individually. Um, Q42, we're doing a lot of stuff in the Netherlands, actually. We're, um, if people visit the Netherlands, I think they know Amsterdam, and they know the museum, the museum there, like the Rijksmuseum and the Van Gogh Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that we... Uh, we built the websites for and the and the apps, and it's really a pleasure to do that. Uh, we're still improving on the Philips U backend. You know, we we've built the the whole backend stuff for the Philips U lights, which is really cool. Really, 
Um, and we're uh, improving the apps because SQ32, we're not happy with it, and uh, we can do that a lot of be- a lot better. And there's something that I'm, I was really impressed with. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Marcel, he made uh, something called, uh, we call it Micrio, and it's an endless zooming in of images. And uh, we won some prizes with that, with um, the Euronymous Boss. Um, let's see, it's the, if you go to q42.nl, there's something called the Time der Luster. Is really Q42.nl? Cool. Yeah. Right. Maybe, or maybe it's in com as well, I'm not sure. Um, oh, wait, you know, look, just if you hit um, um, mecr.io, let me post it. Okay. Micrio. That's a really, um, it's a really amazing thing to give a try. And we're using that for several projects now. This is what... Um, endless zooming in and out of images can do images that could be like a, like gigabytes of data but you're only getting data that you need so this Look is uh, this is I think this is really a big step for the web <laughs> and and your friends working on this yes yes oh man we have a team at Q42 here and this is a, kind of a yeah. Marcel's idea that this was possible and we're actually you know we're doing we're putting this to work in some of the projects that we're doing and uh, but this is one of the things that I I think is, is really amazing at the moment oh this is that NASA image that is okay the, the one at the bottom is this is a NASA image that was like 4.3 gigabytes yeah that's right I, I, as you know it's, it's impossible to get 4.3 gigabytes uh, over and make it usable like streaming from the start mm-hmm. uh, this is what it does and we're working on, for instance, so you can do audio tours like this. So you can just hover to something and you can hear the, the, the music or the narrative change. And uh, that's what we did for the Euronymous Boss Museum. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities that we can do with this, uh, that the world can do with this stuff. So, uh, yeah. Guys are changing the world. I'll, I'll just say it. Um, you guys are changing the world. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I think we all are. We all are. But yeah, this is uh, this is our little little corner of the universe where we like to play around and, and contribute. And hopefully, this uh, and stuff like that we do uh, we got picked up. Yeah, I'd love to play with this. Um, I can't think of any uses that I would need it for at the moment. Uh, I, I can think of uses for it, just not for myself. So I'm gonna have to figure something out so I can I can play with this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's uh, well, Q42 is doing a lot of projects and uh, having a lot. Of, um, and I personally, I've um, mm-hmm. this is hard to say, but I I I decided to stop designing games for a while since let's say I think it was about last September or something. Okay. Um, because I noticed there was this odd feeling that I always had to, I felt uh, obligated to. The, the, the players of the games to keep on I don't know um, you know improving the games making changes um, and uh, you know to come up with new games and it, it, it I, yeah it felt such an obligation which of course it isn't but it feels like if you're not making a new game in a while that you're letting people down I thought oh well, yo this is not good I need some time off I need to, to relax and um, so I finally found some time for myself to start gaming again 
for myself, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. And uh, right now, I've just started. You know, I, the time since I've had a lot of game ideas. You know, I just wrote them down and didn't start programming. But just recently, I just picked one up again. I think I'm I I got the hang of it again. So um, yeah, I'm working on a new game. Mm-hmm. I'm having a lot of fun, and I don't feel obligated. So that's that's cool. That, oh, that's fantastic. Um, I wonder if it's in line with what quite a few developers feel that um, it's not so much an obligation to others, but more to their themselves that that they're letting themselves down if they don't constantly improve, um, both by making better games and by having better releases, like the success, you know, factor of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's hard to to release a game and then not find it uh, reach the audience that you have intended to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, I mean, uh, with Ohio, oh no, we have a, had a pretty wide audience. It was picked up um, uh, all over the world, and it was a lot of fun to see that. And I, I, we had the same effect with the, one of my earliest games, uh, Quento, which was a little puzzle game, mm-hmm. and it's a math game for all ages, and it's being used all over schools. I think in, in really think practically every, every country in the world is using it. Uh, you know, so that's really amazing to get that effect. And then my recent game, I, I've, I've had two games that were received poorly, although they have very positive ratings, uh, which is New Malaysian, which is, I think, one of the better games that we've made. I think it's a lot of fun to play, and I love the visual style by uh, by Richard. He's a great artist, and he, uh, you know, he, he, I think the game just feels it, it, it's finished. Uh-huh. It's 200% finished, and it's such a great game to play. And I really recommend everyone to play it, not just to get me a dollar per game, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, and it's a shame that it, we only reached really just a few hundred, uh, maybe up to a thousand users, and that's it. And that's uh, those are the things that you know, if you if you've spent a lot of time working on a game, and you don't receive the audience that you wish that could see it, that you know that uh, that that's that's not easy then. Mm-hmm. I don't think I played uh, New Militian, but um, you, it's called Quinto? Yeah, there's a little puzzle game called Quinto. Okay, Quinto, yeah. I just wanted to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, I, I just opened it up. You might have heard the, the booting, you know? <laughs> oh. Yeah, um, after I was playing Ohi... Uh, I went through all the the games on Google Play and I found Quinto and I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I think I'm on round 31. I used to play it quite a bit. But yeah. And then I tried Flippy Bit. Oh, uh, great! Yeah, that was actually uh, an April Fool's joke, but <laughs> it turned out that it was quite useful. I mean, we uh, oh, wait, if you go to the website, which is called Flippy Bit and the Attack of the Hexadecimals from where, where, where was it? <laughs> Yeah, flippy bit and the attack of the hexadecimals from base16.com. I think we've got almost one of the longest domain names ever claimed. Not well about the show. <laughs> I need to. I need to get a. Um, I don't know if you're typing it, but I've got the. I've got the link. I just put it in the chat. So. Yeah, that's it. Don't have to worry about typos or anything. Yeah, I need I need totally to get don't. an extension for for Chrome that just mutes all sounds while I'm on the show. Oh yeah, that would be useful. <laughs> but the funny thing is, with this, we made a little April Fool's joke. Uh, we made an HTML5 and then uh, in Unity as well to get a better experience. So we put it on the web and put it on the app stores. 
Um, and we made up this entire story about um, how uh, research showed, uh, Russian research showed that this game was uh, uh, helpful in learning small children to, uh, uh, you know, to calculate in hexadecimals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and learn binary and all that stuff and to convert binary to hacks and you know we had so much fun in creating this story um, but it got picked up and uh, uh, people are still playing it and people actually use are using it to learn um, hexadecimal uh, numbers which is really fun we, if you look at the reviews there are a lot of people said hey this really taught me uh, hexadecimals that's gotta feel good yeah, that was that was fun, and it was unintentionally because the, the game was really an April Fool's joke. <laughs> yeah, I I was playing it, and I thought it was really neat, but um, it it was uh, towards the end of college, and I was just like, I don't have the mental energy to <laughs> to figure this game out. But um, yeah, I and I've been using binary and hexadecimal for for years too, and I I still had a difficulty with the game, so. I think it's interesting that people who aren't even perhaps, you know, using it in their day-to-day life, you know, enjoyed it and got some, and actually learned the principles of them and are able to transfer between them. Yeah. Oh, look, there's someone here who says about how hexadecimal worked. <laughs> At first, I was totally confused. I couldn't figure out the numbers. Well, uh, okay. However, as I continued playing this game, I slowly but surely managed to grasp the concept somehow. Fantastic. Nice. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. The only time I really use hexadecimals, I guess, colors. But yeah, I think the entire world only uses it for colors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, people that you know work with changing binaries and stuff. I think they also work with hexadecimal because I've, yeah. I've opened up some programs. But yeah, mostly just colors. Web development and that doesn't even really require you know understanding the math behind them. Just plugging them in. <laughs> yeah. So. You said that you're working on something new right now. How how far along is it? Oh, uh, a lot. It's um, I just started, mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, I tweeted a little picture recently. Um, oh, I missed that. What I, what I had was when I was a kid, uh, my father he had uh, this board of Pack Solitaire at home. Mm-hmm. And Peg Solitaire, for, for if, if people are not familiar with it, it's the, 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 this little marble game. So you have this board with full of marbles, and you have to pick one marble up and put it, flip it over another marble, mm-hmm. and then the one that you flipped it over is gone. And you have to keep on doing that until well, until you have one left. And having one left is really difficult. Um, and if you manage to leave that one in the middle of the game, in the center of the game, then you've actually completed it. And my dad had this game, and he was able to, you know, to complete it with, let's say, two or three marbles left. That was his best game. And I remember trying to figure out how to, to solve it, and I got to about two. And my friend uh, at high school, you know, so we, we programmed a version of it. And I remember one morning he got in school, and he said, I, I cracked it. So he, he, he solved the game, and he was able to, ma- he managed to complete the game with one 
uh, uh, so we used square tiles instead of marbles. But you know, he was he was able to complete it with one in the center. Wow! You know, just by trying, just by playing it, and uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, the game is actually as old as uh, sixteen thirty eight or something. Sixteen thirty eight. Yeah, I did some research recently uh, on on the game, and if, uh, if you look at the Wikipedia page, there was some really fun. Uh, wait, let me post it. It's a little fun. It's, it's fun to see that there was a uh, this little painting on the right. It was the princess uh, of Subis playing solitaire in 1687. <laughs> And I remember having so much fun with the game. I mean, it just stuck with me as a kid. Maybe that's you know, it was part of my childhood at least. So I was wondering what it would be like if I tried to create this game in in three D. You know, just add another access to it, and um, I don't know, just go from there. And that's that's the solo prototype that you posted. Uh, no, I didn't post a prototype. I just posted. Um, uh, Screenshots. Oh yeah, it says I... it says my new game prototype solo. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's it. Okay, yeah. I I did see that earlier then. <laughs> so that's what I'm working on, and it's uh, it's coming along quite nice. Mm-hmm. And is there is there a uh, some sort of perspective puzzle to this too? Well, the funny thing is, you can just rotate it rotate it in any direction you like. And uh, all you need to do is just move the tiles along. Uh, you know, you, you push uh, a cube. You know, you push one cube towards another, and then uh, the one that you're pushing will get removed. So technically, that's like moving one marble over the other, and then having one removed. Hmm. Uh, but in all directions. And I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if it's fun enough, but I, I like to play with it, and that's that's actually how I design the games, you know, just take a little principle like uh, OI was based on binary Sudoku. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you take a principle and uh, and see if you can expand on it. Yeah, so, there's it, so many it works things really that well. Are, that I, yeah, there's so many things that I, I, I think uh, Sudoku and binary Sudoku are, I mean, it's a great game, but one of the problems is if you look at most of the Sudoku implementations on, on the App Store, then you'll see that most people stick with the black and white, you know, with the pen and paper. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a strength and a weakness that that you can play it on pen and paper because it's nice that you can just play it on anything, anywhere. But one of the things that I that inspires me to create games is that there's so many things to take a basic concept as that and expand on it with uh, things that are not possible with pen and paper, but still trying to be faithful to the game. You know, like uh, um, black and white, and and you know, writing uh, numbers on a on a grid on paper, um, it's not easy to distinguish between the values that you've posted there. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, there's a lot of things that, for instance, color can do with that. So that's why with Ohio, I stuck with uh, uh, this complementary set of colors, this red and blue, uh, on a dark contrast, and then you know, just went from there. And one of the things that I don't like, like about Sudoku, is that I travel by train a lot, and I sometimes you see the, in the newspaper every morning that is lying in the trains. There's this puzzle there. You know, there's these puzzles that you can just uh, you know take a pen and, and complete the complete the Sudoku. Mm-hmm. But 
many times you just see this Sudoku, you know, completely scratched over because someone started and made a mistake, like maybe, I don't know, early on in the game. And then only in the end, you realize that your your game is, is messed up. There's no undo. There's no way to probably have known where you should have changed it. Mm -hmm. And my take on, on expanding on binary Sudoku was to create this way of like positive progression, you know, to always be able to progress to a next uh, step and always having a, a next step available to you. And if you do something wrong, that could optionally, you know, just uh, ruin the entire game. I, the game doesn't give any spoilers, but you know, it gives this subtle hints about where, uh, like, when you when you could get stuck. You know, there's this little eye in the in the bottom that just winks at you and says, "Okay, so so you know there's something going on." And if you tap tap it, it's not that someone over your shoulder says, "Okay, well, hey, you just put a put it that this this one should be red or this one should be blue." It gives you a hint about the situation. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I like, you know, finding these means of, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if it's improvements, but I think, I, I, I like to think they are, you know, that and, the things that pen and paper maybe? cannot do. Yeah, maybe, you know, that the things that pen and paper cannot do, but, um, but you can do digitally without ruining the game or making a complete different game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I've only had one game of Ohio where I've, um, I think it was on a 12 by 12 board and... Towards the end, I I got stuck, and I was like, "Oh no, I made a mistake." But usually, yeah, I, like that little eye would you know flash, and you totally know that. Oh, ah, gotta fix something. And it doesn't tell you what. It doesn't tell you where. Or and if you press it, it doesn't immediately tell you that. Okay, you know, make this one red or blue. Mm -hmm. And I that, that's I, I try I try to find the subtle, you know, the, the the sweet spot there, you know, of helping people progress and not ruining someone's game. Yeah, that's that's a very delicate balance that you've that you've done, and I applaud you on it. Because <laughs> yeah, I've I've used some Sudoku things on on a mobile, probably I think might have been online. But yeah, they always just like, oh hey, that's wrong. That number is not supposed to go there. And you're like, oh okay. <laughs> so it's like yeah. always always fixing your mistakes so you can't fail. But you're a little extra there. So, what did you change from the original binary? Is it that is it the two in a row rule that you changed from the original binary Sudoku? Uh, no, I didn't change any of the rules from binary Sudoku. I think I just made it easier not to get stuck. You know, I I I think I took the I I hoped I was able to take a little uh, a sting out of the, the, the pen and paper version mm -hmm. um, yeah just, just minor it was just minor tweaks I actually started the game by um, I didn't I didn't mean to, to create oh hi um, <laughs> I, I, I created I created oh no first I didn't have a, a name back then but um, I was uh, and the funny thing is Hardly nobody knows this, but I mean, if you look at in the game, oh no, it says that it was inspired on Japanese game. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not entirely true, uh, but this was this was probably the most logical explanation for releasing a game like this. What happened was I was um, you know I like to doodle some game concepts, and I sometimes I just tend to you know just dot some uh, some tiles or circles and think about okay what they can do or they can see something or they have a distance to someone or some some other. Uh, tile, and I came up with this concept 
that turned out to be oh no um, and I thought okay this is really nice you know there's this um, way always uh, there's always a step for, uh, step forward and there's always a way to know what the next step can be by mm-hmm. you know you can, you can derive it from the current situation and you know it's you, the funny thing is that it's challenging because you know it's it's always right there in front of you but you're just not seeing it and, you know <laughs> in, you know in the final version if you know if the moment you that you press the hint you go like oh yeah i didn't see that okay and that's but when i was designing this game on paper i thought oh, this is really something cool uh i showed it to some some friends at work and and they really liked it and then i did some research on okay wait a minute this gotta exist right so i found uh, a game uh i found takuzu uh, as a game, I thought, oh man, someone already invented this game, even though it had slightly different rule. And, uh, and then I just put it in the fridge and I thought, okay, n- never mind. This is uh, this this will not be a game I will release. And then my friend Raul, he, he Raul, he, uh, he asked me, you know, can you um, can you do a talk on writing solvers and generators? Because I was uh, I was into that, you know, writing solvers for uh, generators for all kinds of puzzle games. So I took binary sudoku as an example i wanted to do a talk about it but that got a little a bit out of hand and i was constantly improving the little prototype that i made for a talk and i never gave the talk but i ended up making oh hi and when that was released i thought okay you know what i'm gonna release the other game that i had as well because i just had so much fun so i put it in sort of like the same engine and that's why oh no got a turned out to be the kind of the, the sequel of oh hi Crazy, yeah. I would have never guessed that you had made that one first. No, that's right. It's uh, <laughs> I, I I kind of threw it away back then. Yeah, a lot of the people that I talk to um, enjoy Oh Hi a lot more than Oh No. Have you seen a similar trend? Um, I've heard both sides. I've heard people saying that um, Oh Hi is simpler and fun because it's only about you know colors and states and uh oh no is more about you know calculation and it's not math but um you know the, the funny thing is it is a logic game mm-hmm. but you need to do a lot of uh and there are a lot of numbers that you that are constantly in your head yep uh and what i did i did some i i noticed that the game that i designed does have some differences from takuzu um that i think that I like about oh, uh, oh no, but make it a bit different is that I think oh no, you know the numbers that you see are the the other tiles uh, excluding itself because that's how I tend to think about it. You know that's you know how many ti- how many other uh, dots can you can this dot see? Mm-hmm. Um, and they've inc- they've made it a sort. Of, uh, I think Takuzu describes it as it uh, self included, so it's a set of tiles. And you have to write up that number. And one of the other thing is, is that um, I kind of locked the the total numbers that you could see up to the size of the grid, because I I think the larger the grid size, the more um, the larger the number can be. So sometimes you have to with with a prototype that I had, you know, I was I was really thinking about okay, you're calculating. I think okay, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, this one can see fifteen other dots and you know then you're shifting away from logic and only doing calculation and i wanted it to be a logic game so that's why i put some uh, some thresholds on on those sizes hmm. but those are only the subtle changes i think you know it's 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 
not noticeable, I think, for, you know, if you're just playing the game. But it's not, I, it's just, consider that some background information on it. Yeah. So what do you think, what, what, is, what do you think is the most, what did you like best? I liked Ohio more. Um, like, I, I definitely have a, a respect for Ono. Just, it didn't quite captivate me in the same way. And I think it was the simplicity of Ohio, um, you know, kind of captured me. And then Ono, oh I definitely plugged a few hours away into it, but it didn't quite have that simplicity of being able to chug away hours. And which mm, yeah. which I did with Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I oh God. when it came out, I played it. I played so many hours of it. I started seeing patterns in real life. <laughs> like I'd see people oh, sitting yeah. in the classroom, like and the, you know there'd be empty desks, and then I I'd, I'd like see their colored shirts and be like, oh hey, you know you, you could put another red shirt here and another blue shirt here. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, oh no, this has gone way too far. <laughs> And then I close my eyes and I'd like see I'd see I'd still see the the screen in my in my mind and like be taking naps in class and you know be solving it in my head. Oh wow! <laughs> um, <laughs> so you spend many hours playing it. <laughs> too many. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I took a little break, but every once in a while I I see it on my on my tablet. I'm like, oh hey, I should. Oh. Hi. Oh hey! I should play some nice. Ohai. Yeah, and it's also nice because it's a zero, so it pops up right at the beginning of your list if it's alphabetized. Oh yeah, that's right. That's uh, <laughs> that's uh, I, d I didn't foresee that, but it's uh, it's nice that it happens that way. <laughs> it's like boom, it's Ohai, little, number one. It's, it's a little bonus because there's some people that explicitly try to figure out titles that are um you know in the the beginning of the alphabet so you know yeah yeah it pops up first mm-hmm yeah it's just an accident for yeah yeah i was sure that that wasn't your your reasoning behind it it was just you're trying to figure out something interesting no i think that i i wanted to stick with the binary uh, sudoku mm -hmm. which is derived from zeros and ones so I wanted to keep the zero and one in there and I was just playing with it and then just by putting these H's in between it got a little verb that was uh, um, or a little sentence that sounded friendly and um, the funny thing is that friendly is one of the core values of Q42 as a company as we create friendly software and try to make stuff very friendly and I wanted mm -hmm. my games to be friendly and non um, let's see, I, I wanted it to be as easy for anyone to pick this up and I, I, I actually think that there's a lot of people who think that the game concept of Ohio is that I would I invented that game concept but I think the funny thing is that um, it turns out that I probably Ohio has reached so many people that this was their way of experiencing binary Sudoku not knowing that it was binary Sudoku hmm. so I actually I tried to keep this a lot of friendly possible you know just things like just telling people that it's only a little logic game that you know just pick it up and play it for a while and, and enjoy and maybe it sticks yeah. and uh, I've also noticed that you've made enhancements to I'm guessing both of them um, 
but the only ones that I've really noticed is Ohai, because that's, that's the one that I've played the most hours of, so it's a lot more, you know, obvious to me when, when you add something. So, um, I guess, well, where did you get the idea to add some of these enhance, enhancements, like the, uh, the, progr the, the progress, it, it goes from 0 to 100% when you, uh, when you um, well, the there levels. are a lot of people who, who res uh, I get a lot of mails. Mm -hmm. And a lot of responses, or from Twitter, or um, uh, even in the in the, the Google Play Store, that people just post their their opinions, and you know they rate it four stars, and say, hey, you know, I really miss this or that. And sometimes there's this pattern emerging, um, and the, the little progress bar is just a it I, th I I think it adds just a tiny little smile of seeing even more of your progression. You know, mm -hmm. so oh, you're at seventy percent. You know, just by looking at the board, maybe, but just by seeing that number, you so you know, okay, so I'm almost there. Just thirty more percent to go, and there's just these minor, these minor, uh, these small touches. Like I remember this, uh, a player told me that um, she didn't want the hint eye. This more difficult version, and it would could just have been as simple as just not showing the hint icon, and I, I, and what I do a lot is when I hear someone ask that or say that or just even want that and not even asking me to build it, but you know, say, hey, could this be nice? What I tend to do is just I, I implement it and I play around with it and see how it goes and if it would fit my the, the way I want the game to be played. And so many of these things are added like this, you know, mm -hmm. with elapsed time. I didn't want a timer on there at first. Um, because I, I wanted this to be kind of a zen experience and not see a timer pushing you to, you know, that's making you uncomfortable playing because that's just a very false way of um, uh, achieving something, you know, yep. if, if there's a timer and, you know, you didn't solve the game within a certain time. I mean, that's, I think that's, not, well, for this kind of game, it's not fit, uh, it doesn't fit the setting. So um, I made these, these little settings optional. Um, yeah, so those are uh, that's that's how I uh, engage these uh, suggestions from other people, and uh, of course including color color themes, which is my uh, was a lot of fun, you know, experimenting with uh, uh, making Oh Hi look like Oh No, or even look like Contranoid, which was a very uh, <laughs> very unique style that I that I uh, like a lot. So I just put that in. I mean, that's uh, oh hey, look at that. That's that's, a, that's the privilege <laughs> of of being the game developer. I didn't even know these were in there. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Hmm. I'll have to play play around with um, Ono's color scheme, and I'm guessing it's vice versa too. You can change the color scheme in Ono. Yeah, that's 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 what makes it complementary. Yeah. So, um, and then the other one was the the twelve by twelve board, and this. This is going to get into some game design because um, when when I was originally playing it, I was thinking you know maybe a ten by ten board is the largest it can go, and then you added the twelve by twelve. And I'm guessing your design decision for this was because that's kind of the biggest that you can go on the screen with still being able to press you know the the squares. Um, uh, or does the game actually break once you get too big? Well, I. Um... The way I design, I programmed the, the the generator of these puzzles mm -hmm. is based on uh, you need it, it's a chicken egg situation. 
So you need to create a solver, um, you know, a solver that based on, let's say, let's you take a very small uh, game like four by four, and given a situation, you create the rules in a solver that say, okay, if the grid is, uh, if there's a red at the top and a red, and there's an empty space and another red tile, uh, okay, so a blue should go there. And you, so you develop these rules in a solver, mm -hmm. and uh, so the solver includes all the mental states that you can go over as a human being. That's basically how you can, can look at it. Yep. So once you have a solver, uh, based on a game that doesn't exist, like that, that's what I had at first. You know, you, had, you just have the rules and you just program what you think to make the next step. So once you have that, then you can um, create a full grid, a full work, a, a, a solid game that's like a finished, a finished game with uh, red and uh, red and blue tiles. And you take one out and you apply the solver, and the solver will say, okay, yeah, well, this one should be put back in. So okay, you so you remove it again and remove another one, and then apply the solver again, and this trip goes on and on and on. Um, but you know, with the funny thing is, what, at, the, at a certain point, you will remove a tile, you will try to solve it, and solving takes some time, uh, and you will come up with the situation that the solver cannot solve it. But that's not the end because you can just put it back in and just remove one other tile mm -hmm. and see if the solver can solve it again. And that's the basic idea of the process of generating a puzzle and I've made the generation process uh, I, I try to make it as fast as I could because there are, it's not purely based on heuristics there's a lot of uh, uh, concepts that, that you know that, that work better um, and a lot of tests that you can do but when I've optimized it to work then I even moved to background uh, background processes of your mobile device or your computer so once you're looking at a game it is generating a new game in the background and stores it for you, so uh, that you always can play a next game. But if the, you know, the larger the grid, uh, the, the 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 CPU power grows exp uh, exponentially. So, mm -hmm. um, so ten by ten when I designed it, this was uh, both for design reasons, visually it was it was quite a big grid already. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could play a lot, and I thought, you know, this is it shouldn't be any longer than that. Um, and I could push my my generator up to 10 at the time uh, and after 12 uh, at, at 12 and 14 it, it started crashing you know that it didn't work it didn't work out and I had to make sure that it was also working on like devices like the iPhone 4 which have a lot less CPU power than the devices of today mm -hmm. so so many things to consider but the demand for 12 by 12 was huge uh, you know people they, they pushed clones of the of the, the GitHub repository where, <laughs> where, the, where the code is that they, they, they created clones they added 12 by 12 sometimes failing because my code wasn't ready for it mm -hmm. but and they called it OHI2 I think there's right now there's an OHI2 in the Google Play Store um, that I've asked to remove it but I've, I've, I've had to see how that goes and I've been able to I've asked several games to be removed here and there um, just just polite asking and you know so I've responsible mixed sometimes they said oh sure so didn't mean to to, to, to be any trouble um, oh yeah there it is it it's on the side but of I've... your your page <laughs> yeah but you know those are the things that I think 12 by 12 and even 14 by 14 is possible and uh, if you go to ohio.com I think you can use a hash and say what is it what it's a hash trick. Oh, I'm not sure what it was. 
okay. Are we talking about him like the, a... the Chrome Developer Console? Uh, no, there was a there was a hash trick that you could just type in ohi.com and then hash open the game in fourteen four. But I think maybe I removed it or something. I have to look that up. But I've, I've, I've made some changes that 12 by 12 is possible and even 14 by 14 and go beyond that. But I do think that the larger the grid size, then the, the game experience changes as well. Mm -hmm. I think, don't think it should be that long. Yeah. Um, that was something that I noticed while I was playing that. Yeah, each one had its own, like, it, it, it's almost like it had a flavor. Um, I think 8 by 8 is my favorite. Um, of the sizes, um, ten by ten is fun, but it runs a bit long. Eight by eight is just like the perfect amount where you can still see everything and process everything. <clears throat> um, so I, I think that's my optimal optimal game. I think. So okay, yeah. Yeah, with you saying that it it, it changes as you keep getting bigger, it it definitely does. But yeah, that's just my little blurb, I guess. <laughs> which which size yeah. is your favorite? Um, I really like to play one the, the smaller size, like uh, like six and eight, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, I think I don't want to play for a long time. I just want to play for uh, maybe you know half a minute, maybe a minute or something. Um, and so I don't want to start on the twelve by twelve or the ten by ten because I know there's a lot of time to be spent there. Mm -hmm. Even though some of, some people you know all over the world they've, they've completed these games in in just a few seconds, it's amazing to see that. But um, no, my my personal favorites are the smaller boards. You know, just you know, tickle the mind and and then you're off. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was I was pretty high for a while. Um, I think that was just a pun too. Um, I was pretty high on the, the high speed, you know, leaderboard and I was all impressed. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm number 220 something or whatever. And I had, Oh great. I had like six seconds and then everybody else started playing the game and it was like, Oh my goodness, everybody's way better than me. Let's, let's check. Cause I, I don't even think I'm in the top 1% anymore. Oh, I am still in the top one, but yeah, there's people who have hacked the board now too, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have to remember. Uh, some people that have my have negative scores. Yeah, negative five hundred thirty uh, hours <laughs> might might not quite be possible. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of fours in here. A uh, couple threes, um, and then twos and ones, which are probably hacked as well. But of course, you can't really say with those. Yeah, <laughs> spent a lot of time playing Ohio. I think that's that's kind of the. So how many games did you play in total? Oh, you know what? You have that in the achievements. So let's let's see. Um, I'll grab both of my devices because I've also got it on my phone. I might have removed it from my phone though, um, to keep myself from playing. No, I still have it. <laughs> All right, so we have. Um, four by four played. We've got 126. Six by six played, 127. Eight by eight, uh, 120. And 10 by 10, 130. And that's on um, one device. So play on this other one. 
Or wait, it's it's Google Play, so it might actually just be synced between the two. Come to think of it. Uh, no, that's something that I that I needed to have programmed. Six by six blade. Okay, because both of them are reporting the same numbers. Oh wait, it's uh, you know, there's no what I didn't program is that if you remove it from your device, then you have to start all over. I mean, your scores will still uh, in the Google Play rankings. Mm, okay. But. On your device, you have to start from scratch. That makes sense. Something still on my to-do list. <laughs> and then it doesn't look like you've got. Oh, you do have a twelve by twelve played. I've played six twelve by twelves. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, hmm. I'm sure you've put in hundreds more. <laughs> as a developer. Someone in the chat is saying that we need to talk about Contronoid. <laughs> yeah, so is is uh, is this one of your co-workers? I think it is. Alright, so let's... let's uh, we, we're approaching 90 minutes, so I think we can do one final topic. Um, and we'll talk about Contronoid. Yeah. Have you played it, Brett? Um, I'm looking it up. I might have. Um, yes, I did play this, and I was so confused. <laughs> okay, Mish. <laughs> like, I I get it. It's just so much is going on that I have a really hard time playing it. <laughs> this was this was really such a fun experiment. You know, the, the creating this bizarre twist of. Uh, Pong and, and Arkanoid and uh, um, coming up with this bizarre idea of, of you know the, uh, the space for player one are the blocks for player two and that you could just you know with two player you know you're constantly annoying each other and then I was playing around with these goals and all the, the <laughs> all the little bonuses that fell down and uh, uh, it, it, that it that it became really um, and too much was going on that was also the most fun that we've had playing them with uh, you know when we're playtesting so that's why we ended uh, at least I ended up being a, a, a total confusion um, in a in a um, in this old uh, black and white style yeah I didn't play it with anyone I just played the AI and the AI is really good <laughs> maybe yeah, it, maybe it the AI is not that good, but against me, I was trying to figure this out. Yeah, it was it was difficult. Leave it at that. I think I played it on. Is there an online version of this? Yeah, it's on Contronoid.com. Mm, okay, then I'm guessing yeah, that's what I played because it's not on my on my device unless it's on my phone. I'll check that quick. No, I did play it online. Or maybe you played it on a uh, game jolt. Quite possibly. <laughs> so, um, Rahul, why why did you want to bring up Contranoid? I'm I'm curious. So, while we wait for that, um, also like to get your opinion on Game Jolt. Have you have you been keeping up to date with what they've been doing recently? 
No, definitely not. I've, I've been totally off track with that. Um, but I, I, I do think it's really one of the best. When uh, I mean, it's one of the biggest growing uh, indie places for, for games. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think, I, I believe it's uh, it started out as a one man job, and I have so much respect for what he's doing. Pretty much still and is. <laughs> definitely. I mean, and he was really a lot of help on getting the game, uh, uh, promoting the games. Um, so I put the game up, and he just loved it. And he said, you know, we're going to promote this on the front page. And he did so with Oh Hi and Oh No. And there are so many cool features uh, uh, for developers that he's put in there as well with uh, version releases and updates. And it's um, it's an amazing service online. I mean, for if, if it's a one-man job or maybe a small team, I think it's it's... It's unbelievable what what they've. Yeah, it's it's mainly a one man team. Um, David, we we had them on um, a month and a half ago actually, uh, on the show here, and uh, yeah, David he programs it, and then um, his wife uh, does a lot of the business work behind the scenes, and it's mainly just two of them. They uh, recently opened up source code, so other people can play around with it and. Uh, find bugs, fix update or fix things, and um, contribute language translations as well, which is pretty neat. Okay. But the uh, the thing that I wanted to bring up was the marketplace, um, because when we had them, they were talking about how they were about to release it. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're releasing marketplace, and you can actually sell games on GameJolt now." So yeah, I see that. Yeah, there's it's there's really a bit cool. of a controversy. Um, a lot of uh, people who use the site don't like it because they feel that it's all going to become paid games um, and that it's taking away from, quote-unquote, the indie spirit. Um, but other people, like me, think that it's really great that um, developers are now able to sell their games and be supported by the people that have been playing them. So. Yeah. Definitely helpful. All right, I'm going to go check the IRC. Uh, Rahul says, We like to make fun of Martin that all he makes is grids with numbers in them. Constantly, <laughs> no, yeah, the exact true. opposite of that. <laughs> definitely. No, this is so true. Um, yeah, it, it definitely is completely different than all the other games because all the other ones are very logic-based, and this is like processing negative space and positive space. and Yeah, and, uh, you know, and the... Uh, the setting is completely different, and uh, I remember that it turns out that I have a, a shirt which contains a grid and numbers. Didn't even know that <laughs> when they were pointing at me. Uh, no, it's really fun, and uh, so it's uh, yeah. I even I think I even pitched one of my game ideas with some of them, including Rule, where I said, "Okay, it's a it's grid with number man, and he's got a new game." So <laughs> so yeah, Contronoid is completely opposite of it. But I think that's why nobody played it. Because <laughs> they're all expecting this this logic, I be, slow... I should be back in grid with numbers. Yeah. Well, so that's what I'm going to do. My next game, Solo, is definitely going to be a grid. It doesn't have numbers yet, but I have to... It's got a number of um, marbles, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to get to one, so... Numbers, numbers yeah. will always prevail. Numbers will win. Numbers. 
Great All right. numbers. So um, I think we're going to wrap it up. So if anybody in the chat has any more questions, any more comments, any more anything, get it out now or I guess forever hold your peace. This, this isn't a wedding, but I'll, I'll use that line. At least I, I hope it's not a wedding. I'm too young to get into that kind of commitment. Um, so, yeah, uh, put something in the chat if you would like. Otherwise, uh, thanks so much for coming on, Martin. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. uh, also, if you want to stick around for a minute after the show, uh, I've got some stuff that I need to send to you before I, I let you go. So if you'd be able to do that, that'd be great. But it looks like there's nothing in the IRC, uh, or nothing's coming in. So thanks for everybody that listened in, and we are going to go to our credits. Thank you for listening in to broadcast number 79 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is broadcast live with 1,000 mics and recorded using Audacity. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in more, you can visit our archive at IndieFunction.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play Music. Our next show will be on June 25th with an unannounced guest. Thank you again for listening in to Indie Radio, and we hope you have a fantastic weekend.